Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, we were joined by Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger after six days of silence on the revelation of hashtag Sewergate to discuss that situation. Is trust in city council and the mayor's office broken? Also, work to rule begins today in Ontario schools. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The big story uh, is uh, what's going to start off our show today. Uh, while I was away last week, uh, I got a phone call, I, I guess it was Thursday morning, um, from a, a, a source that I, I have from time to time, a very reliable source. Uh, they gave me the heads up about a story that was about to break about uh, a huge, huge leak in the sewage system that was going right into the to water system here. And I uh, didn't have too many details, but said, look for it. All the details are going to be coming out. Well, it, it did actually get published by The Spectator uh, just a couple of hours after that. I looked online as, as I was out there. And I uh, got all the details on this. And uh, I know I just got back into town last evening, but uh, as I followed this online, this has been a mess. And so many people are just gobsmacked by this. I know that uh, Burlington Mayor Marianne Mead Ward was on this program yesterday with uh, Rick Zamprin uh, talking about her concern about this, the fact that uh, not only was the public not informed about this, but surrounding municipalities were not informed about this. And uh, I imagine there's some other people that are feeling the very same way. So we're going to spend some time on this issue today to try to get some details, to try to get some facts and some explanations, and uh, and hopefully to get some reaction to this as well. With all this furor about the uh, sewage situation, I know some people are already labeling this as sewage gate. I'm uh, remiss to start throwing tags on all these sorts of things. But it is a problem. And I, I think one of the major concerns here, as usually is situations like this when things go awry, is how sometimes it's not the action or the inaction of the it's the it's the resulting inaction or cover up as some people have labeled this that I think is an awful lot of people concerned. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger has been out of the country for the last few days, but he is back and uh, he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to uh, give us his perspective on this. Mr. Mayor, welcome home. Good to have you with us today. Thank you, Bill. Did you have a good weekend? Uh, no, I watched the football game. No. But anyway, be that. <laughs> Well, we congratulate the Tiger Cats for a great season. I think uh, even though the uh, the final game wasn't the outcome we were all looking for, they uh, they gave us a spectacular year of football. So congratulations to them. Uh, and, uh, we echo that, and we're going to talk about that later on the program. What is going yep. on with this situation at Coots Paradise? Now, I know you've been away, but you were here when this whole thing started, and you were here when some decisions were made about what mm-hmm. not to tell the public. Why, first of all? Well, let me, let me just start uh, by, by explaining, first of all, what combined sewer overflow tanks are, which are, uh, and you, you're well aware of these, Bill, because you were there when we, uh, we initially put them in. They're, uh, they're tanks that actually uh, take, uh, you know, the high flows of, uh, of combined water and sewer, and because, because we have combined sewers that both take uh, rainwater and sewers, we're trying to hold that back so we don't overtop or over overflow the uh, the sewage treatment uh, wet well. And so those tanks have been put in and have been successful, but from time to time they bypass. And so Shadow Creek is one of those locations. Uh, Red Hill Creek is one of those locations. In fact, uh, the bypass around the uh, sewage treatment plant, uh, you know, happens when there's a high storm flow and uh, and. Uh, the bypass has to happen, or else we're going to have flooding in the lower city. But this, so, is, so but Mr. Mayor, nature, with all respect, this was not from time to time. This is twenty-four no, 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 billion no, no, liters. Let me, let me, let me just just put the context on what what happens in terms of bypasses. So, bypasses occur. Shadow Creek is one of those locations where bypasses have occurred. And so, you asked me what occurred. Uh, staff uh, discovered. I think public health discovered that in the creek, the E. coli levels were higher than uh, they, they anticipated or, or than normal. So they, there would have been bypasses on that creek. 
Uh, there's generally signage up on that creek that suggests that uh, this is not a water course that you ought to be uh, spending time in. And uh, they found the E. coli levels too high and uh, informed uh, public work staff, and public work staff investigated and found that a gate on the sewage uh, holding tank had been left 5% open for about four years. And so they, uh, sometime thereafter, they did a calculation and determined that it was some, some $21 billion, billion liters of, uh, of, of combined sewers, so rainwater and sewer water, uh, was actually discharged into the creek and then made its way into uh, Coots Paradise. A terrible thing to have happen, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we could apologize for that happening. Uh, you know, it shouldn't have happened, but it did. And uh, so then the MOE was informed directly. The gate was closed. Uh, remediation was done in the area, and the E. coli levels went down uh, to more normal levels. So whatever whatever discharge there was had moved on, and uh, there was no uh, no sense that there was any potential harm to public health uh, thereafter. And so it went back to normal levels, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, in areas of the creek and in areas of the discharge area into the Foods Paradise, uh, from time to time, there are issues of uh, of discharge, and uh, but this one is a significant one. I'm not trying to minimize that. Uh, there needs to be, and and there is, and will be, uh, you know, a, a thorough investigation through the uh, the MOE, MECP, the new MOE, and so the staff did what they needed to do. They closed the gate. Uh, they remediated the immediate site. They informed uh, they informed the MOE and the MECP, and uh, investigations uh, began. And uh, thereafter, they informed council, and I think the advice that we got from the, the legal uh, council, which is uh, you know uh, outside legal council, some 28 years of environmental uh, legal uh, experience, said uh, that you should let the investigation run its course, and then uh, and then full disclosure uh, should happen thereafter. And so there was a notification delivered in July, I believe, that there had been a spill. Uh, the magnitude wasn't uh, wasn't. Uh, uh, identified at that point because there was a, an ongoing MOE investigation. All right, listen, I got a lot of questions about this, uh, and I want to I want to get to to how you responded to this in a couple of seconds. But first and foremost, back to the original incident. How in God's name can a gate like that be left open for that number of years with nobody eyes eyes on this? I mean, this is you know we we've heard all about staff cutbacks and, and efficiencies, etc. This this is a classic situation right now of of not having enough people on there, and and this is a resulting. I mean. It's bad enough that it happened, Mr. Mayor, but the fact that it was allowed to continue because nobody actually checked on this thing for years and years and years is is more than troubling. So, Bill, so you you know we have a uh, you know a, a SCADA system, which is an electronic monitoring system that monitors all the gates that uh, that operate in the city, whether it's pumps, gates, uh, is all done through an electronic monitoring process, and and this, unfortunately, for whatever reason. Uh, did not show that this gate was open uh, 5% for that period of time. Uh, staff to this point do not know why. Uh, you know, are there occasions when they, they manually check to go and then, you know, see where, where these gates have been left open or not? They should. Uh, did they do that in this instance? I don't know. Uh, and that is yet to be part of the overall investigation. So some, something, uh, you know, obviously went wrong here and uh, shouldn't have. And uh, the, re- the remediation in the system has to be fixed to ensure that it doesn't happen anywhere else. Uh, the, uh, the staff did go out and check all the gates uh, throughout the entirety of the city and all the sewage, uh, combined sewer overflow tanks, and apparently all are working in good order. So something, something happened here. Uh, the skated system didn't pick it up or sent the wrong signal, 
and uh, clearly there there uh, that there should be you know uh, some some backup to uh, to manually check these things. And I, I understand that Councillor Jackson uh, you know put forward a motion yesterday to have uh, you know a backup manual check done over top of that as well. So uh, you know what something happened. Uh, don't we're not sure yet what uh, how that occurred. Uh, that's what the MOE investigation is all about. Well, and I understand that. Uh, the, the concern we've got here is that it went on as long as it did, and nobody in city staff seemed to get that. And notwithstanding the fact that the electronics, I think Councillor Jackson said modern technology let them down. Uh, uh, listen, I heard her, have heard complaints, and I, I'm sure the, the, the local councillors in those areas also had complaints about some of the foul-smelling water in that area, too, and I, that didn't seem to get followed up on. So there's a lot to be done, which is why you're doing the investigation. But I want to move on, because I know your time okay. is limited, and I want to talk about why everybody seemed to be informed about this except the public. What's, what's going on here? Well, again, I mean, uh, you, you, uh, we, the, the, the damage had already been done, so there, there was no, uh, you know, lingering concern around public health. All those questions were asked, so we asked public health, is there any, any uh, you know, harm happening now as a result of this spill? And they say, no, the E. coli levels have gone back to kind of normal background levels. So there would be E. coli in the Shadow Creek normally, uh, includes Paradise as well when there are bypasses, and everything went back to normal. So there was deemed to be no a public health issue that that resulted as a, as as the gate was closed, and so then you know then it's a matter of investigating uh, you know what uh, what if anything that remediation can or should happen to uh, to work with the uh, the MOE on in terms of how that uh, plays out. So if there were, had been any concern that there were uh, you know immediate public health issues, uh, this this would uh, this would have been announced and uh, and delivered to the public full stop. But but there are other implications to this as well, and I, I don't know if you've had time since you got back to look at some of these things, but this concern raised by the Bay Area Restoration Committee that says that this this incident, now that they've found out about it, and they found out about it when it appeared in the media too, sets back their remediation efforts in Coots Paradise for years, and that's that's a serious implication. Our neighbor to, on the other side of the Bay, Marianne Mead Ward, the Mayor of Burlington, is very upset about this, that they weren't informed because there are going to be ramifications. It smacks of a cover-up, Mr. Mayor, that you, you know what? what? Oh, we screwed up here, and let's just kind of slip this under the carpet. And maybe it's going to go away. No, but that's not that isn't the case. I would never do that. Uh, I think a uh, majority of members of council wouldn't do that either. Uh, it, it really is a matter of getting uh, advice that said uh, you can't. We can't undo the damage at this point. Uh, the whatever whatever came out of that tank has uh, has gone into the system and has been absorbed in the system. And, and, and you know, I, I wish we could undo it, but we can't. And so we're left with a, a reality that uh, that. Uh, was really looking at uh, how do we mitigate any other damages that might occur as a result of this and work with the MOE to, to work through these issues. So I, I don't sense uh, from any member of council that they were trying to deceive anyone or trying to you know, harm anyone or put anybody in jeopardy. I think the advice we were getting from public health was clear. Uh, there were no, no immediate public health concerns as a result of this. Uh, if there had been, uh, it would have been uh, fully disclosed, uh, you know, right there and then. I, I have no doubt about that. All right, I want to put this in context, though. All right, and and as this discussion was going on, and this is way, way back, of course, in the in the early part of this year, uh, right. there was also a conflict going on in a very, very concerning uh, community about what was happening with the Red Hill and the fact that we found out then again through the media that there was a report that was never made public about the possible dangers of the road and the construction of the road. There's a, there's a pattern developing here, Mr. Mayor, that I find very disturbing, and I think a lot of Hamiltonians do. 
Well, I mean, I, I, I can understand that they, they would see this uh, in that kind of a concerning light. And uh, you know what? I, we, we have to deal with what we, uh, what we get in terms of the, uh, the, the information that we get from our staff. We're reliant on uh, you know, them providing us uh, accurate and clear information. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to debate the Red Hill thing. It's, it's under investigation, so I really don't want to speak to that right now. But I think the reality is that uh, someone, someone uh, decided not to deliver a report, and somehow uh, that was, uh, was left uh, unattended and, uh, you know, wasn't followed through on. Uh, that, that'll, that'll be investigated, and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be uh, doing a judicial inquiry on that uh, very issue as to how and why that happened, and, and rightfully so. Uh, I, I think in this instance, I, I don't think you can add them up as, uh, you know, all conspiracy theories that we're trying to withhold things from the public. That's certainly not the case. That's certainly what uh, not my mission uh, in life in terms of, uh, you know, how we manage and, and, and deal with our city issues. Uh, we want to be as open and transparent as we can. But at the same time, there are issues that, uh, that also need to be dealt with in terms of investigations that uh, sometimes have to be uh, kept confidential, and I think that's, uh, that's unfortunately happens on, uh, on many occasions when it comes to legal issues or, or ramifications out of some of the issues that we deal with. And so I, I understand, I understand that people will see this uh, in a very negative light, but uh, that's certainly not our intention, and I think uh, Council as a whole, you know, thoroughly analyzed this, and we're, we're given some, uh, some solid advice to, to say uh, from environmental lawyers that, uh, that your best approach here is to uh, see out the, uh, the environmental investigation through the MOE, and then, uh, you know, complete disclosure could, be, could happen thereafter. The word here that I'm going to bring out, and it's something I know you've talked about ad nauseum in your campaigns, is transparency. And and right yep. now, that seems to be lacking coming out of City Hall. We're getting information that council seems to think that, that they, is going to be okay to, to disseminate. But if it's going to be controversial, or if it's going to be tricky, or if it's going to be some situation where there's going to be some culpability by some people on staff or on council, it seems as if you have to go over all sorts of obstacles to try to get that information. Well, I don't think that's true, Bill. But uh, you know, I I, I I understand that some people are seeing it that way, and I I, you know, I can't I can't avoid that. I can only tell you what uh, what what occurred here from my perspective, and and certainly we do this in a uh, in in the best interest of the taxpayers in every in every uh, you know way possible. So you know, future mitigation tax uh, issues, uh, future liability issues, uh, working with the MOE, all of that's been in process, and uh, there was no sense that we were trying to create any kind of long lingering harm and if there had have been uh that would have been a very very public issue uh, you know right away uh, this the, we couldn't undo the issue unfortunately we couldn't bring back the uh, the, the sewage uh, the combined sewer overflow that had already happened over those past four years we weren't aware of it for the four years but we did become aware that, it, that that's that's the, the amount of time that it had occurred very unfortunate shouldn't have happened and unfortunately it did then the question is, how do we go from there? And what did we do? Immediately inform the MOE, shut down the gate, did some remediation, actually informed the but public. But why didn't you inform the public? Well, you were informing all those government agencies. Why didn't you inform the public at the same time? We informed the public that there had been a spill. Uh, what we didn't do is inform the public on the, the, the magnitude of the spill. Issuing press releases with half-truths or, or, or just a minimal amount of information uh, is not the kind of transparency I think that people are looking for. I, I know that you're, you're going to get up to speed uh, on this, and I know you've got a council meeting tomorrow, I, I and, and we'll certainly be talking about it then. Mr. Mayor, thanks so much for this. I appreciate the time today. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. More about this in just a couple of minutes. Uh, what galls me about this, too, and I know we have to go to break, uh, is 
is is the reaction from some of the city councilors. Nothing to see here. Nothing. Yes, there is something to see here. And and even some councilors now saying, well, we want to know who was leaked this report. You know, let's let's you know, let's out the whistleblower. This this sounds like the Trump White House for God's sakes. It's really embarrassing. It really is. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Back in the saddle after a few days off, and uh, boy, we've got uh, well, Sewage Gate is what it's being tagged as. If you're looking on the social media comments on this over the last couple of days. Uh, we just had Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger with his comments about this. Laura Babcock now joins us. Laura, of course, is the president of Power Group and uh, uh, has been very active on social media with her response to this. Uh, thanks for coming in today. Good to have you here. My pleasure. Uh, before we get into the, the who, what, where, and, and, the, and the, the reaction to this from the public, uh, your comments about the, the interview with the mayor just a minute ago. It took six days, <clears throat> six days for our mayor to speak publicly to probably the biggest scandal in Hamilton's recent history. I've never seen the community more angry, and we have had to wait six days for our elected leader to speak to this. And all he could come up with was a non-apology. He said they could apologize, but he never did. A technical explanation to run out the clock on you on how wastewater tanks work, when what we all need to know is why Council consciously took the decision to not fully inform the public about an issue that could have affected not just our health, but our ability to remediate Coots Paradise more quickly and with more knowledge. So they kept from us something that we needed to protect those species, to protect our pets, to protect ourselves. And they kept it from our partners. They kept it from the mayor of Burlington, who communicated with me her frustration the other evening. And all we heard from our mayor after six days was a non-apology, a technical response to run out the clock until the very end, Bill, when you actually got him to say, to admit to the cover-up that they did not fully inform the public. Now, they blame it on a whole bunch of things, which we heard a lot of from him and from others. But they have not taken accountability. So I don't think he did himself any favors by waiting six days, all this built-up anger, and then come out with a non-apology, no-accountability kind of statement. Well, and again, as I said to the mayor, let's connect the dots here. Uh, there's a credibility problem with the city right now, and it, it, uh, in, in part because of the Red Hill situation and the fact that that information was not forthcoming. Uh, I don't know who knew. We still don't know that. That's an investigation. But the fact is that they didn't tell us. And you'd think they would have learned. And and this is a new council, and there are new members on this council. And I know you've talked to some of them over the last uh, 48 hours or so. But they all this they, they all agreed to do this at one point or another. Maybe there's some remorse there now, but is there remorse because this became public? I think there's remorse, and they can speak for themselves, at the fact that in the in-camera sessions, as you well know, Bill, these discussions are robust and legal will always give their advice. Uh, and it is my expectation that when the full truth comes out, that we'll hear that some of these new counselors, JP Danko, Narendra Nan, Maureen Wilson, and maybe some others, fought very hard to release the full information to the public. But when the decision is made, as you know, then it's, well, you can't speak, or you might lose three months' salary from council conduct, or you might lose the indemnity protection from the city, and there could be lawsuits. Uh, so 
that we have to look at as another point in the future. What kind of democracy is it if that's how things go, where people have to go against their ethics? Um, but could they have done something? Yes. Could they have found a way? Yes. Could they have not gone along with some other votes? They're all accountable for that. But I do think we are looking at a difference between the newer councillors who Jean-Paul Danko put out a statement saying that he knows he broke the public trust. Narinder and Maureen are asking for a public apology and saying that they should have come out with it. At least they're taking some accountability, which is not what we just heard from our mayor. I heard no accountability, no apology, and worse, we have heard Councillor Ferguson blame it on the people who call it a cover-up when it clearly meets that definition and want to go after the whistleblower and even bring in the police, according to Spectator Reports. And Councillor Whitehead backs that up. So I think we have to separate in here the levels of betrayal that we've been getting from this council, but make no mistake... The, count, the city is betrayed, and we can't take it anymore. It's below our dignity. The uh, the very fact that they, you know, you, they're threatening punishment to the councillors if you break ranks on this. In other words, let's just all shut up about this, and maybe it's going to go away, uh, and we can talk about this in in the in the future at some point. That galls me. The fact that uh, that there are ramifications to councillors that break ranks. Now, I can't account. I haven't been behind closed doors with this council, but I can tell you when I was on council many, many years ago, if you dared to say, I don't think that's right and I'm going to do this, uh, you were vilified, you were outcast, you were ostracized, and, and, and boy, when budget time came up, a lot of the stuff that you thought you were going to get for your award just didn't happen. There's a game that's going on here, and I don't know if that was in play here in this situation or not, but the fact is, is they closed ranks on this and they just decided, let's just keep quiet on this. There are ramifications, and, and the mayor's point about there were no public health ramifications, I don't get Give a damn. That there's and more how to it than do that. we possibly know that definitively? How do we know that? 24 billion liters of mixed water and sewage seeped out over four years, and they're going to say absolutely with certainty that no one who's immunocompromised was in any way compromised by that, that there was that. What about the species? We heard from the head of the RBG when CBC National did a story Friday night, Bill, that they were deprived of oxygen, the animals that were at the bottom of Coots Paradise. So you're telling me that there's no ramifications? And I cannot stand the argument that the mayor tried to make, which again, not an apology, not accountability, absolute rationalization attempt, that they took legal advice. First of all, we would have hired a bunch of lawyers if we just wanted lawyers to run the city. We hired elected officials to take what they said they were going to do, a triple bottom line approach to decision making. One is financial, one is social, and one is environmental. Well, they might have tried to save us $6 million in MOE fines, but they broke down our trust on those other two bottom lines, and it doesn't even sound like they cared, or at least he doesn't even realize that they let us down. Because you're hearing from all the counselors, and I've only seen comments on this as I was getting back into town, nothing to see here. This is no big deal. Are, are you telling me that this event is no big deal? It's it's Laura. It's it's what we see time and time and time again. The original incident is is in and of itself very very dangerous and very very concerning. But the fact that they did not inform, the fact that council's inaction on this and council's reticence to give us any detail about this at all is the bigger, the, the bigger, it's a, well, I'm not going to call it a crime. I'm not going to go down that road. But the fact of the matter is, is they have a responsibility to talk to us. How many times have you heard transparency from each and every one of them? Every time. So, Where, where's the transparency here? So people are raising Walkerton. I don't think it's at that level. Um, but there can be criminal implications. So we'll wait and see if there's any criminality in this. Bill, we will. I'm not a lawyer. We'll see. I have a lawyer on the O Show later today. We'll talk about it. But what we know for sure 
is there is a breakdown in public trust. What we know for sure is that councillors had a discussion, according to a report by The Spectator, on two staff reports that went to council, where they consciously decided, and the mayor just admitted it to you, I think unwillingly, that they kept the full extent of the of the spill from the public. That is, by definition, a cover-up. And I looked back at all the scandals that I've been covering in Hamilton for the last 25 years. You know, you look at what happened with public works, with, you know, the asphalt gate, and you look at what happened with the Red Hill Roads report. I didn't even get the sense that the Red Hill Roads report, staff might have covered it up, but I didn't get the sense that council discussed covering it up. The idea that there was a discussion to withhold, and they're calling it a delay in full disclosure, that is, that's like Kathleen Wynne with her stretch goals, right? It is absolute pathetic spin. No one is buying it, and you're not overstating it. We had the actual experts who look after Coots Paradise say that it's catastrophic, that it's a disaster. It's setting us back how many years and how many millions to clean it up, and even the mayor of Burlington. And how do you not tell the other cities that share that same watershed? And, and by the way, not just share it, Laura, not just share it, pay for the remediation of it. I can't even imagine the lawsuits that are going to come. And who's going to pay for them? The city taxpayers. They already decided as a quick way to fix this yesterday, they'd throw $500,000 extra on the sewer budget that's going to, what, hire five people? They haven't even identified what the problem is. I've heard them blame automation, blame the ministry, blame the people who called it a cover-up, blame the whistleblower. I have not heard, and I did not hear from the mayor, a blame for their abdication of their triple bottom line decision-making duty, of their poor decision... The only people who have taken any accountability that I have seen, 100% accountability on this for their role in it, have been the new councillors. And what does that tell us? It tells us that, that, that there's, there's, there's a let's protect our own butts situation. That seems to be an attitude in, uh, with the council. And, that, and I think that's the thing that galls most people, it, it, just the, the reaction I've seen over the last couple of days. Uh, uh, nobody is suggesting that anybody on city council opened the damn gate and let the water go in. Okay, of but not. they discovered it after four years and these billions of gallons that went in there. The first thing you do is, hey, we somebody screwed up here. Uh, it, it, are they protecting staff? Is that what's going on here? Well, there are. That, that, there seemed, is to be a news, the, that th- seemed to be the implication with the Red Hill thing. Is that a, happening again? There's a news report from four years ago that someone sourced from CBC that has the fact that the, there was knowledge of this problem four years ago. So. I want an investigation, of course. We all need an investigation, and the mayor should have called for a judicial investigation. That might have given me a little bit of faith in his leadership. Uh, but no, they, we need an investigation to find out, okay, there's two parts to this. Who let a gate open for four years when we had evidence? We had indigenous women in doing a float-up protest in the harbor, and nobody listened to them. We had people, an urban person saw this, uh, who was in the sewer system and saw this. We've known. The city should have known. Any basic oversight would have known. So there's that problem. The sewer gate problem itself. How are we running this city? And then there's the political problem, the Coots cover-up problem, which is when they found out, did they decide to take legal advice to protect themselves from the embarrassment of what happened? Yes, instead of the triple bottom line to consider our social needs and our environmental needs and our partners' needs and our basic dignity. And yes, I'm angry, Bill, and I'm more angry having to wait six days for the mayor to come. And that's the best he can do. The biggest concern that council should have right now is not even the leak, because that's been identified and and they're taking steps, which you and I are going to pay for, as it turns out. So what else is new? The biggest concern right now that everybody around that council table should be concerned about is they have lost trust in this community. 
And if those are the elected officials that are supposed to be guiding us and looking after us and, and, and designing a, a future for this city, how can you do that when you don't have the public trust? And right now, that trust is, is if it's not waning, it's been destroyed in some circles. Uh, my 75-year-old neighbor who's been upset about Stadium and Red Hill and things over the years said, I'm paying them to blank lie to me. The, the amount of... This is so past what people, they know politicians, you know, cut corners and spin. We get that. We get that. We know that there are complicated decision-making factors on these big files. We get that. But this this evidence that's come out from the spectator, and I kudos, I'm renewing my subscription because of their reporting on this, that they actually considered and decided not to tell us the full extent and didn't let the people at Coots and all the people who care about our environment and our health do what we needed to do to protect ourselves and to protect the environment, I think it's just unconscionable. So the level of trust is so gone. And you mentioned the Trump White House. Do you remember when people were so frustrated with the White House in the early years of the Trump administration that they started to boo people in restaurants? Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Somebody said to me that they wished that they had booed Councillor Ferguson at, at a play on the weekend. I don't want people to be booing and spitting on our councillors what I want is a review, and I would like them to resign who have been a part of this cover-up and who have lacked the leadership. But that's the level it's at, where people want to physically engage with their anger. And I hope nobody does it because there are better remedies. We can talk about it. We can file suits. We've got Sandy Shaw at Queen's Park day after day going after the ministry for their role in this. So we have a, we have a remedy to this. Nobody should do anything even, even nasty to these counselors. We need an investigation and we need leadership. And I think, you know, the next election might be too long to wait for some of these people. I don't know that they have the right to lead our city. And the spectator asked that question. Do you do you have faith that these people can police themselves? Obviously not. Obviously not, because they consciously made a choice to withhold a, an environmental catastrophe from us. You know, a couple of signs posted after apparently the MOE, the ministry had to go after them twice. They said the minister, one of the ministers yesterday said in Queen's Park that we told the city of Hamilton to do this. After they didn't, we had to tell them again. So, of course, we can't. And I've waited 25 and, and you, years And you don't do this with a benign press question. release saying, oh, by the way, we had a bit of a spill. They said they're taking it very seriously once they got caught. And you don't come out and post a few signs how did that help anybody? I mean, if you're going, if there's something that is this catastrophic, yes, obviously we want to find out how it could get that big four years and 24 billion liters. Come on, it's huge. But to make the decision that we didn't have the right to know the extent of it, you know, I, I just, it's just, I, I keep saying the word unconscionable, but I don't know any other word for it. It's a lack of ethics. It's a lack of awareness of their role to us. It's a lack of the triple bottom line decision-making protocol they're supposed to be a part of. And the fact that the mayor took six days to give us the dignity of a comment, and I don't care if he's traveling to the moon, even astronauts can communicate back. <laughs> you know, this is ridiculous. We deserve better than this. We deserve better than this as a city. And I, I, I'm enraged for my children, for the future. I'm just enraged. Too much. If, if the decision and if the discussion around that table is that it decided to withhold this information from the public is what, you know, we're knee deep in trouble here right now. Well, you're shoulder deep in it now because of what you did or didn't mm -hmm. do in this particular situation. Uh, and I don't want to go back and, and, and relive the, the last municipal election. I mean, the results are the results mm -hmm. and we've got what we've got here. Mm -hmm. But one of the mayoral candidates, Vito Scro, at that time suggested there be an independent oversight agency looking mm -hmm. after what the city did. Uh, I, I can now this this just underscores the need for something like this. I don't know that the city right now and the people in this community right now can trust the people at City Hall to do the right thing. 
and to inform us about what they're doing and why they're doing it. Well, clearly not. I mean, then the spectator said, can we trust City Hall to lead? Can we trust them? We can't because they just covered something up. Massive something Again, up. again. Again. But this time we know absolutely that council was involved in the cover-up, not just staff. We might find out from the Red Hill investigation when the judge finally sets up our $11 million judicial review. We might find out that council also tried to cover that up or some councillors. We don't know that yet. But we do know from the spectators reporting that this council had a discussion about it. And they made a decision that we didn't deserve to know the full impact of what had happened. If they had come out crisis management 101 and said to us, we just learned the extent of this thing. Obviously, we're going to find out how that possibly could have happened. We're going to inform all of our partners and all of the public. And, you know, let's work on this together. Then we wouldn't be having this conversation. And I wouldn't be half yelling in your microphone, Bill, because, you know, it's a big city and problems happen. But it's the cover up that, as they say, is worse than the crime. I don't know if there's a crime here, but certainly there's a cover up. Well, it's, it's worse than the incident, whatever terminology you want to use. And I, and I know, and you've been around long enough to understand this as well, there can be a council meeting tomorrow, and this is going to be part of the topic of conversation, and they're going to write, and they're going to write around the table and say, there's the media overblowing it. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're exposing, not overblowing this. This how, is a big deal. How can it be overblowing it? It's $24 billion of sewage that was leaked into our World Biosphere Reserve. And when they found out about the gross negligence that led to a four-year sewage leak of that, like we're talking about hours of waterfalls over Niagara Falls level of sewage, uh, 10,000 Olympic swimming pools full of sewage, you know, untreated sewage mixed water. Uh, You know, how can they possibly think it's being overblown? I don't even think we've done the full court press on this yet. And the fact that their decision making was, oh, to save $6 million in our butts, let's just not let them know the full extent of it, which the mayor admitted to, to you 20 minutes ago. So good on you, Bill, for doing your job. There's another element to this, too, and obviously these are the people that are representing us here in this community, and and we need to hold their feet to the fire on this and get some answers. But where was the MOE on this? They were informed, as the mayor said, they informed all these government agencies. Did anybody at Queen's Park look at this and say, what the, we've got to do something about this? Instead, they played along with the city. They're saying they put it back on the city, then the city didn't comply, so they had to revisit it with the city. Uh, Now they look bad, too. Listen, there's enough blame to go around, but what I'm not going to sit by and watch is the, the city blame the ministry, the ministry blame the city, and they go back and forth like a game of ping pong, and the people who have been betrayed and our partners who've been betrayed, and our environmentalist groups who've been betrayed, and the city of Burlington that's been betrayed, that none of us get any accountability because they blame it on each other. There is sufficient blame for us to go to City Hall Wednesday night and subsequently as long as we need to, to get the accountability we deserve, and to go to Queen's Park and do the same. So I hope people in Hamilton are ready for a long conversation on this, Bill, because if people think, if the mayor and those guys think that they can shut this down by throwing 500000 of our tax dollars and, at and it... And kicking it down the road yeah, with an inquiry. They are way out of their league on this one because they're not paying attention to the people. And I know John Paul came on your station. I was very proud of him for speaking publicly on live radio the other morning. And he said, John Paul Danko said, you know, I couldn't shop for great cup supplies because everyone was so angry that I broke the public trust. So that's a new counselor actually admitting to us. And we heard from Councillor Ferguson, I guess, in the newspaper that he's been getting a lot of nasty. He called them, I think he said letters. And and, uh, his quote is his quote. You can check that. But the point is, uh, that's not coming from from some social media hashtag. That's coming from people who feel betrayed. And that is not something that I think the city should forget. Yeah, and, and I don't want people being spat at and I don't want insults being tossed. But Me I neither. want people to stay angry and I want them to and I want city council to step up and, and, and take some responsibility. Uh, as always, Laura, thanks so much for this. Great having you on again. Thanks, Bill. Laura Babcock from Power Group. 
You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Right now, though, what you need to know, and you probably already know if you've uh, got kids uh, that you dropped off to school or sent them off for, for high school, whatever the case might be, work to rule action begins today in schools across Ontario. Uh, and uh, we're going to get some reaction, hopefully, from a Harvey Bischoff, the president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, who we hope is going to join us in just a couple of minutes. Uh, Harvey uh, did tell our producer, Liz Russell, that uh, he's actually in a meeting right now, and there's a, a very important vote happening within that meeting about uh, next steps in this. Uh, if the meeting runs late, we may not be able to touch base with them now, but we will later on and certainly get the uh, results of that vote and uh, what's going to happen going forward. But there are the people involved in this, and what I find fascinating about this uh, about the, the scenario that's developing. Uh, when there has been talk about teacher strikes in the past, and in fact back in the 90s there were uh, some some work stoppages. One was a strike, one was a lockout, as I recall. Uh, there was an awful lot of uh, support for the government's position at that particular time. I don't get the sense that's going on this time. A number of parents groups that I've talked to and individual parents I've talked to are fully supportive of what the teachers are doing because of some of the policies being implemented by the Ford government. Uh, there is an agency right now called the Ontario Parent Action Network, which has developed solidarity kits to stand with the teachers. Uh, I want to bring uh, Jonah Gindin into the conversation. Jonah is with the Ontario Parent Action Council and joins us on the Bill Kelly Show. Jonah, thank you for the time. Good to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, interesting dynamic that's going on here, as I was just explaining before you joined us here. Uh, in the past, invariably, I think there's a, even a perception, I think, maybe among some of the people at Queen's Park, that parents are going to be outraged by, uh, by this, and they're going to say, what's the matter with these teachers? Uh, uh, you, as parents, seem to have a different tact on this. I, and I, I think, anyway, from the discussions I've had anecdotally, Jonah, with a, a number of parents, a deeper understanding of what the issues are here. Absolutely. I think um, the reality right now is that parents are angry and worried about the uh, deterioration of our public school system in Ontario. And uh, I, for one, am uh, a lot more concerned about what's actually happening when my kids are in class with the cuts to, um, to staff, with the increasing class sizes, and all of these problems, um, more so than I am of any kind of short-term work stoppage. Obviously, that would be an inconvenience. But what I'm, um, what's been made clear to me by the uh, teachers and the support staff um, that are uh, in negotiation in the school system is that what they're bargaining for at the bargaining table is to reverse the cut. So they're trying to improve uh, the situation in my kid's class, and, uh, and I, I relate to that. So I, I'm very much in support of uh, what they're trying to do because I see the detrimental impact that these cuts are having. The other element to this, too, is, Jonah, is this is not something in the abstract. I mean, these policies, many of them anyway, uh, were announced last year, in the last school year, but they have been implemented. Uh, you've had a few months of this, and, and you as a parent have seen uh, the indications of how they're impacting students. Absolutely. I mean, just to give you an example, um, you know, my kids, I've got two kids in elementary school and one who's going to be there in a couple of years. Um, and uh, there's about 500 students in their elementary school, and they have one part-time special needs assistant right now um, at the school as a result of the cuts. We used to have a full-time. Now, I'll just be honest with you, a full-time special needs assistant, this is somebody who's working with kids who are having difficulty. They might be somewhere on the um, uh, autism spectrum, but they might just be, you know, having some difficulty with the transition of going to school and not being with their parents or whatever it may be. Um, one full-time person for 500 students is obviously, uh, they're not going to be able to do very much. There's not that much, um, you know, that they can work with uh, that many kids. Now it's a part-time person, and that's just because of the cuts that were announced in the last budget. That was the first budget. I'm worried about what's going to be in the next three budgets. Well, anybody who's been involved in classrooms or anybody who has a special needs uh, student or special needs child, 
understands that that ratio is is insulting uh, to the child and to the parents and to the school system itself. Uh, that each and every one of those students probably deserves a full time education assistant, and that may not be financially feasible. But who suffers as a result of this, Jonah? I think everybody does because yeah. I, I obviously. Um, you know, I have friends who have children with special needs, and those kids definitely are not getting the attention they deserve, not because, you know, the staff are unbelievably dedicated to those kids, and they do everything that they can, but there just aren't enough staff. But the other reality is that, you know, the kids who don't have special needs also aren't getting enough attention because um, the little staff that there is is just spread too thin. So at the end of the day, everybody's suffering, whether your kids require extra attention or just the bare minimum attention from their teacher in order to actually learn the lessons and progress through the system. I, I always have to ask, and I've had the education minister, I've had Mr. Lecce on the show a couple of times, uh, and, and the question I'm always asking is they say, you know, this is what they're doing to try to improve the education system. Who are they listening to? It's certainly not parents. I don't think it is parents at all. I think who they're listening to, I mean, I, I honestly have no idea. I assume who they're listening to is, um, you know, uh, I, I think it must be some private school interest. I think, I mean, you know, one thing that I noticed um, just anecdotally is that um, there were advertisements, private schools have started advertising about how small their class sizes, you know, are. So it's, you know, the government's increasing class size for everybody who's in the system who can't afford to go and, you know, pay for, you know, thousands of dollars for some private tuition. Meanwhile, the private schools are, are now, you know, uh, advertising that to parents to say, hey, you want small class sizes, you know, you got to go to private school. So I think that there must be some kind of, you know, relationship there. And certainly we know that in the United States, you know, there's a huge movement to charter schools and vouchers and all this stuff. I don't even understand exactly the details of all that stuff, except at the end of the day, what it means is that, you know, our public school system is starved of money and it gets diverted into these alternative systems that serve the people who have the means and leave out everybody else. And I, it seems like this government ideologically is in line with that movement in the United States and seems like that's what they want to do to Ontario. Jonah, it should be noted as well that uh, groups like yours, the Ontario Parent Action Network and, and others uh, that are standing beside the teachers in a situation like this, uh, do so at a price. If this goes down the road and it gets ugly and if there's a work stoppage or, in fact, if they decide to walk out on this, there are implications to families like this when it comes to daycare, who's going to look after the kids, things of this nature, quite aside from the educational aspect of this. But but you seem willing to accept that that may be part of the inevitable result of this. But but obviously this is a, a fight worth fighting. Well, from our perspective, I mean, we may, you know, that, that will certainly be difficult. And it's, it's a lot harder on some families than others. Obviously, you know, single-parent households are going to have a really hard time. And so we're trying to, you know, parents are talking to parents and saying, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on parental leave right now. I can take some extra kids. But at the end of the day, what we understand, I think, and what parents all over the province understand is um, our kids are going to suffer for years, for decades, potentially for their whole lives, because their educational system is such a foundational um, experience and, and setting them up for life. And if it's, um, you know, if they're understaffed and our kids are just swimming in this giant pool of, you know, 40 kids or 30 kids and they're not getting the attention they deserve for their whole system, it could impact their whole lives. So in that sense, even though it will be difficult, if we have to be, um, you know, out of school and figure out alternative childcare arrangements for, uh, you know, a short term, you know, that is worth it if at the end of the day what we're fighting for is to improve our, our, our children's education system. Well, hopefully it's not going to come to that, but uh, if it does, and certainly we're going to stay in touch with us. Jonah, thank you for the time today. Really appreciate it. We'll stay in touch. Thanks very much, and just for any listeners who are interested, the Ontario Parent Action Network, we're on Facebook, uh, and we have a website as well, so look us up. Sure, I'll, I'll pass that on to our, well, they just heard you do it, so I think it'll be okay. Thanks again, Jonah. Uh, as we mentioned, Harvey Bischoff is the president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, and uh, he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to give us an update. Harvey, thank you for the time on a very busy day today. 
My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Uh, you just heard, I don't know if you heard part of the conversation I just had with Jonah Gindin. He's with the Ontario Parent Action Network. And the reason we brought him on, Harvey, is uh, I think to inform our listeners and, and to expose the the support that the teachers are getting in this. This is, if the government was expecting this was going to be the way it was some years ago, where uh, the public is going to be outraged at teachers for walking out of the job or being locked out and just, you know, wanting more money, etc. There's a lot more at stake here, as, as Jonah just explained to us. Yeah, and what we've seen, because we've done our own polling, is that we have uh, parental support for both our support staff and our teacher members um, trying to defend a system that there's absolutely no reason for this government to go uh, trying to erode. Um, you know, so so uh, by, a, by a margin of four to one, we've seen that parents trust educators to look out for their children's best interest in education uh, as compared to the government looking out for students' best interest. Uh, and that's just a sort of indication of the different environment we're in this time around. It, it, I don't know if, if you've had a cause to ha- talk to anybody in the ministry about this, Harvey, but maybe you can shed some light on this. Because I've tried to talk to, to Minister Lecce about this as well. What is the rationale for essentially blowing up the system, which is really what they're supposedly doing here? I, I mean, I know there were some concerns, and we've talked about that. You know, there were low math scores and some et cetera. But, but on an international basis, the Ontario education system is still regarded as one of the best anywhere. Yet this government just seems to want to throw dynamite into the room and say we're going to change everything. Well, the minister has repeatedly claimed this is not a fiscal exercise, but there is no other possible explanation for their announcement that they wanted to cut one out of four high school teachers out of the system, that they've cut thousands of support staff from the system, that they want to impose mandatory e-learning based on a model that comes from Alabama, uh, which ranks 49th out of 50 in terms of American education quality. Um, you can't point to that and say this is about about improving the education system. This is about cutting costs in the short term um, by a government that doesn't get that education is an investment in students and in Ontario's future, civic and economic future. Uh, so, I mean, there, there can't be any explanation other than this is a cost-cutting exercise. And I know I last week I was talking to some people involved in this who actually were taking the other side of this and say, you know, how come you're so you're passionate about this. You don't really have a dog in this fight. And it, that's true. I mean, our, our, our kids are, are in past secondary or are actually out in the working world right now. But everybody in this province actually should have an interest in this, Harvey, because this is talking about Ontario's future. If we have a crappy education system, we the, the, our kids, our grandkids, whomever you were talking about here, are not going to be competitive in an international environment. And that's bad for everybody. Well, this is exactly right. So Ontario competes in the world on the basis of high-quality graduates that we turn out of high school, uh, you know, who subsequently may go on to skilled trades, may go on to post-secondary. We've raised the graduation rates over the last 16 years by 20%. One out of five more kids who is prepared to, to pursue the future that interests them through, you know, through university, through college, through the, through the trades. Um, that contributes to Ontario's economy. So if you function in Ontario's economy, and that includes just about everybody in the province, um, then you should be interested in, a, in an excellent education system. You shouldn't want to see it uh, hacked and slashed by a short-sighted, ham-fisted government. What about your time frame here, Harvey? We've talked about the work to rule, and uh, we've tried to outline, and I know you have, uh, and members of, of uh, the association have also talked about that implication. Of course, that's going to talk about comments on report cards, a couple of other things that are going to be going on. Uh, and, and I know that there's going to be a debate about the impact that's going to have on education. I know the minister's saying this is, uh, this is going to have a negative impact on this. I, I don't see a whole lot of evidence to that. But what are next steps? I mean, even what you're doing starting today is is, is got to be time limited. At some point, you're going to have to say, look, we're going to either ramp this up or we're going to find a solution. 
Yeah, so our actions will have zero impact on students' educational experience, um, first of all. What really affects students' education is the fact that we've already lost uh, many, many teachers and support staff from the system. Kids are in overcrowded classrooms, can't get access to the support and assistance that they need. Um, And that's exactly why we're just not going to have infinite patience with this government dragging its feet at the bargaining table. They were the ones who unilaterally imposed cuts that students are already suffering from. If we allowed this to drag into next year, the government's intention is to cut deeper next year, the year after, and the year after that. We would end up with a with an education system that is unrecognizable compared to the quality that we were able to deliver just last year. So I'd say we are bargaining on Wednesday and Thursday. We hope fervently that the government finally comes to the table with proposals that will move this discussion forward. Um, And we would really like to get to a deal without any further disruption. Um, But it's very much in the government's hands. And bear in mind, like I said, they're the ones who unilaterally uh, took the axe to the system starting this year. Are you optimistic you're going to get some headway here? It's hard to be optimistic when I see what they've done at the table so far. We've been there for seven months. We served notice to bargain on April the 29th. They've dragged their feet all along, and we have a minister who is tragically out of his depth when it comes to his understanding both of the education system and how collective bargaining works. So he talks about good faith bargaining, but he talks about it from you know press conference podiums on a regular basis rather than tabling proposals at the table. At the same time, they introduce legislation which inappropriately interferes with aspects of bargaining like compensation. It's the exact opposite of good faith bargaining, and it's clear that the minister doesn't even understand uh, what that notion means. And what people don't understand, too, uh, who's on which side of the line here? Uh, This is not just the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. The Elementary School Teachers Federation is in a similar situation and also working to rule. The Catholic teachers, both high school and and elementary school, are on side with this, and and their actions may be forthcoming. We don't know exactly what uh, strategy they've had at this stage. And a number of parents' organizations, uh, including the one we just talked to, the Ontario Parent Action Network, are also on side with the teachers right now, asking and begging the government to reconsider some of these options. Do they are they getting that message, Harvey? You know, and on top of that, I'll add one more. The Francophone Teachers Association yeah. has just announced that they're going to take strike votes as well. So that's every teacher affiliate in the province who, you know, we also represent other other educators uh, within the system. I've seen no evidence so far that this government is getting it, or else they have not figured out how to back down and, and save face. Um, but what they need to do, I mean, it, let's not look at this as backing down. Let's look at this as ensuring the long-term health of an education system that provides kids with a with a equitable chance of success and a chance to contribute to Ontario's economy. Um, and, and, you know, we'll celebrate with them if we can get uh, to that stage where we're defending the quality of education in this province. Well, as you say, the ball's at the government's court right now. We'll just see how they're going to respond later on this week. Harvey, as always, thanks so much for the time today. Thanks so much, Bill. Appreciate it. Take care. Harvey Bishop, of course, president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.